welcome everybody to the Haunted Hacker episode number 39. Um, tonight we have Rob Newby. Um, I will introduce him in a little bit. A uh, little bit of news and housekeeping before we get started. Um, bear with me on this connection. We've had some bad storms uh, lately in Alabama. And so my connection is in and out. Uh, so if I accidentally disconnect, I'll be right back. Uh, so <laughs> some news uh, for today. Um, not a whole lot of news. I've been heads under the water trying to manage a sock and dealing with some incident responses and, and some crazy stuff. Uh, so that's that. Um, also, we have uh, a new, well, it's not really a new podcast, but it's a new show that's going to feature our group. Um, Tina Gravel and uh, David are going to be putting on a show sometime soon. They approached me about it um, last week and was telling me about um, how they wanted to help out our group and our community. Uh, so look for that coming up shortly. Um, other than that, no huge news, except for the US is under like major issues with the jab and, and COVID and all that nonsense. Uh, I think we're going back to a mask mandate as well as uh, some cities possibly going into lockdown. We have a DEF CON coming up and a lot of people are actually boycotting DEF CON um, strictly because of the fact that Black Hat is allowing vendors and basically telling people that mask is uh, optional. Uh, so a lot of security professionals and vendors are pulling out of the conference uh, because of that, uh, because they want to protect their family and themselves. And Las Vegas right now is one of the uh, hottest cities for uh, COVID spread of the variant D which is uh, pretty lethal right now. It, I guess it uh, infects you with just as much antibodies as the first, or just as much of the virus as a first uh, strain that hit Europe. So that being said, let's get it kicked off. Um, Rob, I saw your LinkedIn, I follow you. I see some of the work that you've done. Uh, CEO, founder extraordinaire um, on the board of how many companies, like at least four or five, pretty impressive. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, maybe. That's not some. Yeah, go, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little uh, bit Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, so uh, Rob Newby, um, uh, as you say, I'm, I'm sitting on advisory boards for three or four other startups, and I've also got my own startup at the moment, but um, I've been in security for about 25 years, probably the same sort of length of time as you have, Mike. But um, very much from the the kind of the corporate side, the the, the defender side. Um, always done it from within a business. Started my way like from the very bottom. Started on operations desks, help desks, that kind of thing. Before there was even such thing as security, and it, it grew from there. So there was one of the the first jobs that I did the um, IT operations role, I would build things that would monitor other other systems because we didn't have such thing, you know, there was no SIMs or anything back then, there was nothing to do any monitoring. So I would build systems that would do that. Um, then I actually, because I'd had that experience, I moved into, into the reseller side, actually into the channel. Um, and got involved in selling secure ID, so RSA products, uh, and then Encipher cards, so crypto cards. And that really 
you know, a bit of a love affair with the whole the techie side, the really like complex maths, I think was what appealed to me back in those days. Um, and, and I just followed that and I followed it and not on a, a predefined course in any way, but I always wanted to be doing the next thing. And when I got to a certain point, so, you know, when you're, when you're on a help desk, it's easy to see, well, there's, there's other things you can do once you, once you get to a certain point. So I, I spent a long time consulting and then in architecture, um, and I didn't really know where to go. Um, and I was, it was almost by accident that I became a CISO. I was approached and somebody said, would, would you like to do this CISO role? Um, so I did, and I, I went into that and I finished just before the pandemic hit. So it was a contract and I finished in at the end of 2019. And at that point I, <laughs> I'd been offered the job as a permanent role and I turned it down because I couldn't see it as a long-term career for me and I was look I'd had some issues with reporting to the board um, and uh, actually having kind of a clarity of message and I, I had a very clear idea of how to do it and what I wanted to do but um, I couldn't find any products that did it so I thought well you know I've come from a product background originally I know how that the product side of life works i know how the channel works why don't i give it a go um so i did you know back <laughs> just as weird the world was going into into lockdown i was uh, starting my own company and uh, i found a, a developer three days before we went into lockdown over here back in march um then we had an mvp out by july uh, and then i've just been kind of talking to people about it ever since and trying to get people interested and, and, and seeing what it's about. But um, it's working. We did a beta release yesterday, actually. So we're now trying to find our next round of customers to come and try it out and see see if it works for them. Yeah, so if any CISOs out there want to yeah, try out Rock bring it uh, on. Rock Garden product, feel free to holler. So tell us a little bit about Good the product. product. Tell us a little bit about the product. Um, so the problem that I had is I found that I was continually doing or wanting to do maturity assessments. Um, so CISOs quite often get into a, bit, a bad habit, I think it is, of just reporting on risk all the time. Um, and, you know, I think coming from, as you do, from the more offensive side rather than the defensive side, you don't see the whole around the the defensive side well you, you do now because you're working on that side but there's so much of that that goes on and decision making isn't done in the same way as it is on the offensive side on the off offensive side you're like well I'm going to try that and you try it and if it works you carry on on the defensive side you've got to go well I think this is going to work so I'm going to go and convince someone to give me some money to try it out. And if it works, then I'll build something else on top of it. And that takes three months to get the money and then another three months to build it. So six months later, you finally get to try and do what you wanted to do six months ago. And it's massively unsatisfying to go through that amount of governance and, you know, just red tape most of the time. So... I wanted to, I mean, I, in my consultancy work, what I've done is I've gone in and I've, 
of run maturity assessments and then come back and presented a, a, a whole piece of work around that saying this is what your target operating model should look like these are the people you should have doing these processes these are the tools you need to buy to support those and automate them um and after a while it, it it started to feel a little bit cookie cutter there wasn't anything that i was doing that felt particularly new so I thought, well it'd be interesting if i could automate that um, you know the things that I know to be true. Can I put those into you know hard code them into into a system um, and and keep on running that? So that that's what we've tried to do. And you actually you don't realise until you start doing it actually how much of it is is unwritten. It's it's in there and it's from experience. It's not something you can actually apply to paper, um, which was an interesting thing to find out. Um, but what we're trying to then do is actually have a continual feedback loop. So instead of the way it's done now on spreadsheets, going out, sending a sp one spreadsheet out to 25 people in your team and getting 25 different spreadsheets back with lots of different types and shapes and sizes of information, just sending out one link to people coming into the system, putting their own information, but in a specified way that we're setting and just having that picture build up from the bottom up. Um, so at the moment it's all manual, it's all kind of people driven, but then it, later on it's gonna to be tool driven as well. There'll be you know KPIs, metrics, that kind of thing being fed into the tool. Uh, and then having that picture at the very top level where this typically the CISO is talking to either other technical management or more commonly now move straight into the board and the CEO and, you know, the ex-co. Um, and that's really, that, that was the problem that I'd faced was that I reported directly into a CEO who didn't know security very well. He kind of knew what it was. He knew a few buzzwords, but he didn't know how it worked. And my ex-co certainly didn't know anything about it. So the first thing I wanted to teach them was what, what security is. And then I wanted to report on that. So, you know, give them a framework and then say, this is how that framework is going to change over time. So it's, um, uh, it's just something that I needed in my role. And I, I spoke to other people and said, do you need this? Um, and they, they, they said that, you know, that basically people were saying that there was nothing that they knew of that existed. Um, so, um, I decided to go and build it myself. That's pretty awesome. The the communication with the board, I think, has always been the most challenging for me, even on the offensive side. Mm. Um, boards are pretty much metric driven. Um, and, you know, when you show them a maturity yeah, model, yeah. they equate that to dollar and cents. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I think your your model is, is perfect. Um, what do you think that your biggest challenge is with starting this new business and and producing this platform that that gives them that maturity model um the challenges have changed as we've gone through um to start with it was knowing whether it was a good idea or not um and and that's a pretty easy one to knock off and and i was really really lucky that i had in that CISO position and i've got a network of CISOs that i i can talk to and you know the, we bounce ideas off each other all the time um so it, it i i used whatsapp groups because this is again back in kind of early early pandemic times um that was 
probably the number one the thing I was being asked the most by by the people in the startup community was is there a product market fit which basically means does the market want it is it something that people are going to you know ask for and look for um and I was being told yes you know that, that I, I I had a, a ready-made market out there at my fingertips and they were all giving me lots of feedback and lots of interest in it that quickly leads on to the second problem which is that you realize that people quite often say it's interesting but they're very unlikely to part with money until it's perfect so finding <laughs> finding people to actually try that out for you and people that will give you enough feedback to make it sellable um and we, we're very lucky to have two or three very early customers who were willing to put money into it and We've now got to a point where we're at our, our beta phase where, you know, we can start saying, actually, you're, you're going to pay for this. But we're still getting people running, you know, we run three month trials before we, we sell it. So it's not something. Early being in a group on. with really, really amazing security professionals like the InfoStep group is helping you out there, Rob, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Always. So there's a there's a group in the UK called uh, the CISO Alliance Group. I don't know if you've been mm -hmm. part of that or or communicated with them. That's another good testing ground um, for getting products out. Um, I'm on I'm on the board of a couple no, companies. Over, yeah, they're they're pretty good. Um, and I'll give you a link to them. Um, I'm on a couple boards over yeah, in the UK. Uh, one is Jenny, and then the other one um, yep. is the Paradox Tree. And uh, what I find interesting about being on the board um, is the decisions that, that twist and turn and, and develop the company to what it, what it becomes. Um, and one of the guys on the board and one of the founders of one of the companies I'm with is only like 17 years old, uh, Vincent Cook. Pretty amazing guy. Yes, I, I think Tinesh told, me, Tinesh told me about him. Yeah, yeah, he's a, uh, I'm yeah, on the Vincent, board. He's cool. Yeah, Vincent, Yeah, uh, I'm on the board of Tinesh's company and, and it seems like there's a very close knit yeah. group of startups and founders over in the UK. And I really miss that. Yes. But what, what is your biggest challenge with the board? Do you think um, with the results from, from your model and communicating that to a board level, what would you say is a, the, the hardest thing to get across to the board? Um, the complexity of it which is exactly why i created it uh and you you talked about something that i hadn't mentioned but something that you very quickly hit on was it's all about the cost so um it, it's it, if you've got an eye on the complexity of security you're always down in the weeds and if you then want to talk about cost you very quickly get almost like rabbit in the headlights like hang on there's that thing over there and there's 12 things over there and i've got all these components i don't know exactly how much it costs they don't care about that they want to know roughly what's it going to cost rough order of magnitude is it feasible is it going to pay me back that money in terms of either risk reduction or you know business improvement it, it, it's there's either upside or downside for every financial decision made and that's pretty much all they're going to care about if they want to know more detail and you know there's some very bright people on boards then they need the ability to drill down into it 
so and and there will be somebody on every exco or every board you go to who will have that knowledge and they will be able to challenge you all the way down to the that, that ground level um and i just wanted to be have that at my fingertips at all time because I, I don't like having to think too quickly i like having the detail i like like being thorough about what i'm saying i don't like to leave any gaps but likewise i know that i've got to go in there i've got to say i need six million pounds because i need to build a sock and it's going to give you xyz and that's going to you know potentially stop you from a 500 million pound ransomware yeah. attack yeah how do you how do you demonstrate that return on investment like what's the what are the, the key factors that you need to show a board to uh yeah basically to sell it to sell it, to get that six million pounds um there's i think it's being able to tell them a story so you you do have to talk about risk uh, but you also have to talk about the upside. And that's the thing that the CISOs quite often miss uh, because they're used to talking about the risk. It's like, oh, there's something big and scary over there and it's going to cost you lots of money and here's a way to do it, you know, to protect yourself against it. Most, a lot, a lot not most, but a lot of uh, kind of senior management will say, well, I, we've never seen that kind of happen before, so let's, we'll we'll defer that or we'll we'll avoid that some other way and we're not going to give you the money you want if you can demonstrate a benefit to having it or an ongoing benefit like so for a, the sock example you know i can stop a single ransomware attack which might cost you 10 times what i pay for it but also i can stop 20 ransomware or i can we can at least recover quickly so it's going to stop our operation cost as well so it's having in simple terms things which you know are, are very complicated and, and having it then in high terms but that you can you can go deeper into that detail if you need to later on Okay, so that's like your bricks and mortar kind of thing. Not really bricks and mortar, but a sock. It's something you can see, something that's there. What about for something that's more ephemeral, like um, business intelligence or like the, uh, dark web, uh, Intel stuff like this? How, how would you how would you sell that to a board? Okay, you're putting me on the oh, spot. Mate, this is, that's what it's all about. <laughs> <mate. laughs> like like I say, I would take I would probably take weeks over this. Um, how would I talk about intelligence? Well, that's it. So. The, the way that I started with with every board that I've ever been involved with, because I've done this as a consultant more than I've done it as an actual CISO, um, is to go in and explain the, the steps of security, how, how you, you know, you basically you identify where the risks are and then you can protect against them before you, you know, pick them up in your environment and then respond to them operationally. Um, so it's about you know if you're talking about threat threat intel then you're basically saying you need to have this to know what is hitting you this you, you, everything that security does is around responding to threats in some way so if you know what threats are out there you've got a hundred percent better chance of responding to them than if you don't know what's out there and make it simple for us, you know. And if you're always coming with the same, uh, the same language about what you're doing, and they very quickly get used to the way that you're talking, 
Um, I think some people are afraid of coming across as not being original or something like that. But actually, if you're saying the same words over again to them, they go, right, okay, so yeah, I, I know what this guy does. He's the guy that defends from threats. And and we have to help him do this. So if he tells, you know, and, and I, I think another, another mistake that people fall into is trying to explain too much of the job that they do because a board will hire you or an exco will hire you because you're the expert they you know if you've got through those three or four rounds of interviews to get the job in the first place or six in the case of, <laughs> of a lot of you um if you got through that round of those rounds of interviews they've they, they've pretty much accepted that you are the, the person for the job and you know what you're doing and they want to leave it up to you and they want to trust you and the minute they start challenging that or they they start um you know not trusting you then that's when you've got a problem so the mistake people are making is that they're going in and they're explaining oh i'm doing this because it's like, no you don't need to know that you don't need to make excuses for what you're doing just say we are doing this yeah. and we're going to do it because and then the financial side that's not the excuse that's the that's the upside and the downside that's not the we do it because this is what happens in security it's like yeah okay we, we understand that you know security talk to us about the business um and and that's the gap that a lot of CISOs need to still close particularly over here in in the UK I think in the US it's becoming a lot more like that the CISOs are a lot more business focused yeah. over here there's a lot more technical focus still I was going to say and, I think that's because a lot of a lot I mean a lot of CISOs that I've talked to they've come up through that kind of technical route though so they've been like yeah. oh, you have to you have to you absolutely have to. I mean, I, I, as I say, I came, I've, I've had 25 years in security and the first 10 to 15, probably 12 of those were in technical roles. And but you'd be surprised, I mean, with the amount of CISOs that I talk to, so when I bring them into the mentoring thing, hmm. there's been about three or four who have said they've got no technical background whatsoever. So like, well, not no technical background, but limited technical background. Like Steve Trippier yeah. at Aston Water, he was a project manager and he's always had a project management background rather than a technical background. And if yeah, I ever but, that, that's, like, that's the whole Dunning Kruger thing, though. That that that's that's them thinking they're not technically capable. If you have a conversation with Steve, you'll quickly realise that he's got a pretty good handle on it. You need to have enough technical knowledge so that somebody can't pull the wool over your eyes. That was the best way. That how do, you, how do you choose what company to approach with your with your platform with your services what what level what <laughs> timeline of maturity do you look for to to introduce yourself and, and what you guys do um i i don't think we've been that considered about it yet i think we've just we, we've we've you know done the fanfare and asked people to to, to come and have a go um and realistically, I, there, there shouldn't be any level of maturity that you, you can't use it because it's assessing that maturity and it's telling you, okay, what where do you want to get to? What's your, your target? You know, you set the target and then it tells you what the gap is. So, 
we're, we're not quite at the stage where it can tell you what the, you know, every single piece of work is going to be and how that's going to be priced up, but that's where we're heading to. So it's effectively doing a gap analysis for you and setting up a bunch of projects, which it will then cost up for you, ROM costs again. So the, again, you can take that as a business case, over to your board and say, I, I want to build that sock. It's going to cost 6 million quid. And here's the business case. These are the people I need. These are the tools I need. Um, you know, and this is, this is how much of that gap it's going to close. Um, so, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> Where was so, I going with that? Where was the question? So, so, <laughs> so do you work with partners? Do, do you work with partners as well? Like, uh, you know, third party socks? Yeah, we're just like starting to. Yeah, we, we're just starting to work with partners um, that if essentially they tend to be uh, consultancies or resellers who have larger pieces of work going on with uh, with kind of bigger customers. Um, and at the moment, we are finding that it typically sits better with the larger customers because it helps them get a handle on the complexity of their estates. Um, so we've got resellers who are coming in with some quite quite large customers and saying, look, I'm selling them this solution, which has you know, multiple features underneath it. And I'm looking for something that I can put over the top of that. And it can almost manage what we're doing. It can show that the gap that we're closing and it can show how we're improving things on their estate. Very cool. So you know, we've talked about the, the startup, we've talked about, you know, your, your board memberships and stuff like that. Tell me a little bit about who Rob is. What, mm -hmm. what do you do on your spare time? And, and, you know, what do you enjoy doing outside of all of uh, the board work and the chaos? <laughs> There's not a lot of it left. Um, I, I've got three, three little boys, uh, aged six ten and eleven had to think I was about gonna say that. they're not little they're quite big <laughs> they're not like yeah they are quite big yeah this, yeah the the biggest one particularly yeah, but, he's just he's just left primary but school you just said so. they like to get sports injuries like yes they do yeah i've got one who's in a, a boot at the moment because he's broken his ankle my my eldest has had a broken wrist twice in the last year and it's all from uh, football so yeah, they like to hurt themselves. So they take up a lot of my time. I've actually just started to, I've taken on uh, coaching my middle son's football team because he wasn't going to get a game otherwise. Uh, so he was playing with my eldest son and uh, they wouldn't let him basically play in the team. They could, he could only do training. So now I've, I've taken on an under 11s football team and I didn't actually play football until I was 40. So, this is going to be well, quite interesting. I'm not going to lie, this sounds like nepotism. It is. Oh, it, it totally is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I say it as though uh, yeah, he couldn't get a game unless he was in, but actually, it's the other way around. Yeah. It, uh, he gets to play wherever he likes because I'm the boss. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's I find it pretty interesting that, that, that you're part of a board and, and you have, you know, all, this, all these companies and, and startup. Um, that you have any time for yourself because I know being on the board uh, of multiple companies it feels like each mm -hmm. company is a full-time job it, and it's it's a mm -hmm. lot of fun uh, yeah. to see things grow yeah, man. yeah it, it, it's it's a lot of juggling um 
Uh, there's um, so there are four companies, and there's one of them doesn't take up a lot of time. I, I'm not going to name names, but one of them doesn't take up a lot of my time at all. And um, one of them, when I started, took huge amounts of time, um, and that's kind of dropped off over over the time i think the, the reason they wanted me involved at the, the point that i got involved which was when i was still working as a CISO, was because they wanted me for that CISO profile and introductions to other CISOs. um and then over time that's kind of that's dropped away they've kept me on because it's always useful to have that that kind of connection but um i think they don't they don't they're less reliant on me they've got a you know big kind of sales arm now and everything um and the the last one one where i'm actually a non-executive director um that is the one which i'm most naturally involved with so that doesn't really feel like there's a lot of work there we're in continual conversation continual contact you know, there's kind of, uh, uh, they're arranging things like golf days for <laughs> their clients and things like that. And they invite me along and it's, you know, it's kind of nice. It feels a lot more natural like that. So, and, what, what um, and, and it's a bit, sorry. I was going to say, what yeah. other things are you involved in, Rob Newby? There's one on your t-shirt. Oh, that, yeah. The Info Step Challenge, yeah. yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that, Rob, because I don't know I, anything about it. I got, I got roped in. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, it's all your fault. Um, I don't know. I guess I needed some exercise or something. <laughs> let, me, let me give you a hint on how to uh, win that that challenge. Go ahead and take your Fitbit and put it on your dog and kick it out and make it run the streets. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Totally win. <laughs> I haven't got a dog. That's the problem. Yeah, you uh, mind you, I, I have got three kids yeah. uh, and they're pretty much moving all day. So that might be the next time. We've actually, because we've seen... The um, middle one's had his broken ankle. One of us has had to be in the house all the time because he can't leave. It's the summer holidays now. My eldest has been playing football. Um, my youngest has been playing football. And the middle one's stuck in the house feeling really sorry for himself. So one of us has had to be sitting with him all of the time. So whereas I would go out first thing in the morning, lunchtime, and then last thing in the evening, I'm lucky to get one of those in at the moment. So this week has been my lowest week yet. Rob, mm. I, Rob, I also know how you feel that you said you were un, you were disadvantaged being tall because yeah. me and Rosie, <laughs> me and Rosie have been doing. Oh, sorry, sorry, me and Rosie have done the exact same thing today. We've done all of the same things because I've been at her house since this morning. She's since done last night. since last night. Since last night, she's done how many I've thousand? Ten thousand. Ten thousand three hundred and four steps, and I've done six thousand. <laughs> Uh, Marked yes. differently, mm -hmm. with the exact oh, same shit. Got, Empirical proof. <laughs> yeah, got a photo earlier, and there's like a, a three foot height difference between the two yeah, of us. I know. I've, I've seen it. I know. The <laughs> thing is, I I knew this because I I the the one who's got the broken leg at the moment. He he's always on the move, um, which makes it doubly hard for him at the moment. <laughs> but I I took him. For what he's got a little Fitbit thing on it that he wears on his wrist, and we went for the same walk around the golf course, which is just over the road. Um, when I came back, he said, "Dad, I've done twelve thousand steps," and I looked at mine, and I'd done five thousand. Like, it's just because he's, you know, he's got little it's, little legs. Yeah, for short people, it's <laughs> no, it's yeah. easier for short people. No, you get all the steps in. No, it's not. We're more knackered. We haven't got the length. <laughs>
So, so Rob, where do you see the, the biggest challenge uh, post-pandemic as far as the uh, security industry goes? I, personally, I think that ransomware has like taken charge, um, but I don't think it's the end of, of our issues. Where, where do you see the problems coming up? I think, I don't think it's ever really changed, has it? I think, you know, it's, it's, it's behavior, it's people's behavior um, and, and trying to change it and trying to influence it. And, and you can't, and I think, I mean, I'm certainly feeling it. And I, I, I think other people will be to a, a greater or lesser extent that if things go back to normal, whatever that looks like, um, what's the working day going to look like? You know, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to ever get back on a, well, I don't know. I won't say ever. I don't feel like getting back on a train to London right now and spending an hour and a half commuting and then Wait. do the same at the end of a really long day and coming back again. I love being able to walk up the garden and see my kids, at, you know, yeah. 5.30, 6 o'clock. Even, you know, they come home at half past three. I go and see them for half an hour, have a cup of tea, and then I can be back at my desk, finish off, and then go back in and put them into bed. And, you know, for me, that's given me a massive uplift in the quality of life that I have. Um, so that's going to create a behavioural change. So people are going to resist going back into offices, which means we're, you know, are we going to go back and do, are we going to need all of that, that, that infrastructure that we've put in place? And, and it, it almost gives you, it gives you problems on, on two fronts. It gives you that, the office being in the home, you've got uh, invisible threats almost. You, can't, you don't know what's going on in other people's houses, other people's routers, what's going with, on with them. That's the, you know, yep. That threat surface is enormous. But also you've got all this stuff in offices around the world that's, I mean, we, there must have been thousands of offices closed down in in london alone and what happens to all the kit that was in there and where is that now what's happened to all of those things that should have been decommissioned have they been or have they just been left in offices because because you know they, we've still got a lease on we've, we've still got a lease on the office we'll leave all the computers in there for a bit so th th there's there's hidden risks that I think people probably haven't thought about because we all left in a panic, you know, it was, it was like the Marie Celeste in, in a lot of these places. So yeah, I think that was, I, uh, I still pretty, think, I think it was pretty interesting watching uh, Boris Johnson's uh, MP run out the back door when he found out Boris Johnson had COVID. <laughs> Talk about leaving in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Let's not get into Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> we get, we got rid of our problem here, so we have a new problem. Um, <laughs> but Rob, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, do you have any questions for us, uh, for the crew, or or anybody here? Oh crikey, that's putting me on the spot now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I always I, I want to know more about Mike and and the background in your anonymous days. I, I've, I've I've tried to read about it and this it's quite it's probably a, it's, bit, uh, a bit hidden. <laughs> but, 
it's 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 a long it's a long story um uh, a story that took took me down some some dark roads and took away my freedom for quite a bit of time um but being in london really helped uh, helping the kids and and giving back to the community and really uh getting back on track um you know so and eventually you know we started this community and this is my passion now is giving back to you know the world that we took from by giving people by giving people a chance to you know come into cybersecurity, giving them a place where they can learn about cybersecurity, um, and especially the kids, right? So I'm neurodiverse, and I deal with a lot of kids who are neurodiverse, and a lot of them are potential cyber criminals uh, because they function very well in black and white and ones and zeros. We're very black and white, uh, and they tend to be some of the most, uh, I guess, uh, success successful when it comes to exploitation. Um, because they, they see things as it's either on or off. Um, and their, their math skills and their computational skills are, are just absolutely amazing. Um, and I wish I would have had an ounce of what they had at that age and had the, you know, the support from the families. And what I find is a lot of the families, especially in London, um, that have kids that are identified as potential cyber criminals, uh, they're very supportive. They just don't understand the kids and they don't understand the technology. Um, and I think that's where the big gap uh, is right now in the industry and in the world in general is you have the, the no's and the no nots. Um, and that's, I think that's how it's always been. You know, when, when I was a kid making bad decisions, you know, it was always against people who didn't have that knowledge or, or you know, thought they had security, but not really. Um, so yeah, my, my, my road was pretty long and, you know, I'm happy where I'm at now and people, I can give, you know, that experience away to people who really need it and companies who need it. Uh, so yeah, and I work with Tanesh and, and Naveen and, and really enjoy, you know, being on their board and, and helping out the companies over there. Uh, but yeah, the, the anonymous background is, is uh, I try to keep it a little cloaked uh, to protect myself um, as well as protect the companies I work with. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure yeah, no, having you on. Interesting. Um, Go ahead. So, do you think that um, the the you're, you're talking about, you know, I, I guess the the kids that were were coming up into the IT positions when when we were younger mm -hmm. uh, were they they were the ones that through through the the educational ranks in a in a normal way and uh, you know went through university and then they went into it roles or project management roles and then they you know it, it developed into security over the years um and as you're saying that's not necessarily the best way to get into security there's people who understand the world differently um are, are gonna have a natural advantage so do you think there's gonna be a the, the, you, there's people like you doing this outreach work. There's there's quite a lot more of that kind of thing going on now. Stuff that Amy's doing with Caps Lock, getting people to you know changing careers. Um, do you think we're going to see a, a, a tipping point where that's a more normal way to get in to security rather than coming up through educational ranks? Because I think you know my my son asked me the other day. Well, he said he was telling me a story and you know kind of fantasizing about oh when i'm when i'm 18 i'll be going off to university and i just said well if you want to yeah if you've got something that you want to do at university but you know make sure that you do because 
when I was when I went to university, it was because it was what was expected of me. And I don't necessarily think maybe, that was the best maybe thing. Maybe was it me. was it free when you went to uni? Did you get free university? Oh no, well no, we we, we had to well, my parents <laughs> paid, but <laughs> you know, I, I have a certain amount of privilege. But um no, you know, we it, it was not something that I had to think about, put it like that. It was expected of me and I did it and I went and I came out again. And that's the same for me though. That's the same for me. I was well, when I was growing up, my mum and dad were like, "You're going to university." They were like, "You are mine until you are 22, and you'll finish mm. university, and then mm. you can go do what the fuck you want." Mm. Uh, whereas mm. my brothers, they well, the, set, the first one went to uni. The second one, my my mum and dad were like, "He's only 18 now." They were like, "You can go do an apprenticeship or mm. whatever else." And I said, "I think an apprenticeship would probably be more worth your while right now because yeah, yeah, you've got work experience." Well, that's what I think. I think. Um... Hiring managers, I mean, I, I've, I've had a lot of people in the last couple of years. I don't look for a degree. Uh, I look for well, I, I look for the person. I, I talk to the person one-to-one, and if they've got that spark, that's something, you know, it's not about what's, what's written on a piece of paper. It's about do they understand what I'm talking about? Do they get me? Do I understand them? Um, so, you know, I... I it's, it's like that job description that um, Greg Vandergast put out, was it yesterday or a couple of days ago, where he was like, experience required is whatever experience you need to do the job, qualifications, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, don't want any qualifications, just want you to be enthusiastic. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's the way it's going. Uh, and I think, I, th- I think the more that we look at how people people's minds work and, and the choices they make and, and the conversations I have with potential employees is more of how can they troubleshoot? How do they look at problems? Um, how well do they communicate? Yeah. Uh, I think we've seen with like certifications that not all certifications are what we think they are or what the industry relies on them for. Um, take for instance, CEH. So back when I started doing what I did, mm. there was no certification for ethical hacker. There, there was no security certifications. Um, it was just mm-hmm. pure passion, taking things apart and seeing how they, how they work. And so that's what I look for. And I think we're going to get to a point where the industry is going to realize that, you know, requiring a $5,000 certification for an entry level job is just not going to be feasible. Um, I mean, a kid coming yeah, out of school, you know, we, we provide a lot of yeah, we provide a lot of experience just within our Discord and knowledge share uh, for kids coming out of high school to learn the things that they need to learn instead of having to go get that $5,000 certification. You know, so I, I think we're seeing a, a change and I think the pandemic's kind of helped that as well. Why is that? Why is the pandemic helped that? I think because of the fact that the schools, um, here in the US, the schools are, are behind. Uh, simply because of the fact of mm. the shutdowns and, and, you know, the time off and stuff like that. So people, you know, kids graduating are a little bit behind. Um, colleges are on and off, depending on what state you're in. So, you know, looking at across the board, who has a degree and who doesn't, you know, some of these kids don't have time. I mean, they've literally spent most of their senior year in lockdown yeah. and they want to get on with their lives. So you're seeing a lot more kids going out and getting jobs. Mm. Um, and the whole, the whole skills gap thing, too, is just ridiculous. So one of the things that we do at the company I work at is uh, 
you know, hire from within and promote from within. And a lot of companies out there aren't doing that. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, it's really sad to see entry-level positions requiring like five years experience. Um, but, you know, it, we're trying to build the, the industry back up and, and trying to get it moving again. Uh, but in the same token, I think it's time to clean or cleanse some of the industry, uh, get rid of some of the ridiculous <laughs> certifications that are worthless uh, and look yeah. at hiring practices and change the way we look at people. Yeah, you're right. It's, um, I think you, you still get the, the, the attitude from recruitment that, um, you know, you've got to have, if you don't have, a CISSP or a CEH or whatever the, the, the acronym is for your particular chosen field. Yeah, you um, said not all recruitment. Not all. Yeah, well, I, 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 that's why I hesitated. I thought we've got a recruiter just over there that I can't offend. And we were meant to have... It's <laughs> hard to offend me, it's okay. Don't worry. We were, we were meant to have another guest on tonight, weren't we, Rob? We were meant to have uh, Ryan as well, but he's uh, in hospital with a dislocated shoulder. So hope yeah. you get well soon, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, I, it's. Uh, I think a lot of the time, certainly you used to, and I, I think to a, a certain extent you still do. You know, if particularly at entry level, if you haven't got that that acronym on your CV, then you're just going to be filtered out, um, and I, that's that's a really bad position for us to be in as an industry. Uh, and it's a bad position to be in on the other receiving end of it as well. Um, and I, you know, again, I have a certain amount of privilege. I got my CISSP in 2006 and I've just let it expire uh, because I just don't use it anymore. Why would I? You yeah. know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the same situation. In front of my own yeah. <laughs> I'm in the same situation with the, the hacking certifications. You know, it, at one point they were they were valid. Um, you know, it's to the point now where do I really want to get another certification? Exactly how much is it going to help me? Uh, because yeah. now I've gotten to a point in my career where it's the experience that I've gained that, that gets me in the door. Um, I just yeah. started a new job last month. And, and, you know, when I was going through the interview process, it wasn't about what certifications I had. It was giving me problems and problem sets to solve. Um, and I think that's what we need to do. I mean, mm. I think we need to focus more on problem solving and creative minds rather than, you know, black and white. Do you have a degree? Mm. Uh, it's kind of a waste of time. But Rob, I uh, definitely appreciate you coming on. And, you know, if there's anything that we can do for you at the Haunted Hacker, let us know. Um, I'm sure we'll be uh, running into each other again, probably through Tanesh or somebody over there. Uh, but I look forward to the next time we get to have a chat with you. Brilliant. Nice to speak to you too. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Rob. Uh, see you guys next weekend for episode number 40. Um, check out Ooh. Rob's new company, and uh, we'll see you guys then. Thanks, guys. See you. Yeah, bye. Yeah.